Alrighty. How's it going, guys? Welcome to another episode of 5-Minute Major Radio. Uh, you know, Darth Murray strikes again, and as Sidney Crosby, not a fan of urinals at the Wells Fargo Center. So, um, as we know, Game 5, or I'm, the, ooh, I'm jumping way ahead here. Uh, game 3 was yesterday at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia as this series came back home. And the Flyers... You know, outplayed the Pittsburgh Penguins for that first opening 20 minutes, but then after that, things did not go the Flyers' way at all, Jake. No, um, <clears throat> things were less than stellar. The Flyers came out very strong in the first period. They dominated the play. I'd say, you know, the Flyers' young talent kind of came out. You saw Proveroff and uh, Sandheim, and you saw Ghost Ghost. You saw them come out, and they, they were making a difference, you know, helping – generate offense and peppering Murray with shots. And even like the play of Sean Couturier, who can be very much a defensive specialist in series like this, were doing a well job at, you know, containing the Penguins offense, the likes of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. But, you know, after, after 20 minutes, it seemed to, uh, the narrative had seemed to change going into the second period. And I don't know, I don't know exactly what had happened. Well, I think I can tell you what happened. It was Sidney Crosby scoring to make it one nothing in yeah. the first period. Yeah, I mean, you... it was a freak play. When the puck went off of Raffle, so you can't even really blame Raffle well, there. I sort of disagree because I don't I don't think that the Flyers showed any uh they, they didn't seem to be very deflated by the play. They seemed to have the same uh, amount of pressure applied after the goal. Well, I'm thinking maybe in the intermission, maybe it creeped more in their heads. And now it's like we, had, we just outplayed mm-hmm. arguably the best team in hockey the last two and a half years, and we're trailing one nothing. Now, you're hoping that's not the mentality because you were hoping that the leadership group would step up and say, guys, let's keep this pace going. Let's do this. But that wasn't the case at all. Part of that, we're going to get into this in this podcast, but part of that, I believe, maybe falls on the coaching staff and the inability to you know rally your team after taking, you know, a one a one to nothing deficit in the playoff game, especially game three in front of your uh, in your building in front of your home fans, but I, I'm not going to say that's the only factor. But I think you know, we're going to get into it. I think there's going to be a lot of question marks surrounding Dave Hackstall and the coaching staff and their performance in game three. And now we are going to address, I was sharing, com- I was making some posts yesterday, of course, and I was getting some comments from, I guess, fans per se on Facebook. I, I'm starting to get some heat for my criticism of Dave Hackstall. And, you know, we, we want to address this, um, you know, because it's obviously not completely the coach's fault. Like I gave, I gave Hack heat after game one in that blowout loss. He decided to not go change the lineup at all. Stuck with that same lineup for game two. A game through the Flyers dominated and played well and played the way you need to play to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. So then again, hockey being hockey, you stick with that same winning formula and you go into game three and this game three happens. So it's something that you don't necessarily want to, you know what you're going to do, but some of the players that he decided to keep in didn't make some great plays yesterday. And so I'm thinking now it's hard to say because your brain wants you to say, well, he has to make the switch. He has to do something. He has to make this change. But then you're saying, well, look at a Friday night. Look how the team played then. Toronto just scored. That's a, uh, a little game uh, game breaker here. Bear with us, guys. This yeah. is probably going to happen all episodes. Yeah, we're trying to do this a little more free-flowing. You know, um, Austin Matthews just scored 
to make it 3-2 uh, right now in the Toronto-Boston game. So excellent, excellent shot. And keeping more updates for those who are you know care about other series going on here. But back to the Flyers and Hacksaw. You know, it's just interesting because at yesterday's game, there were at times where when, when the Penguins made it 3 nothing, and you're looking for a momentum switch, and just Dave, he stands there with this just blank look on his face like, duh. And, you know, I'm literally screaming. See my face. I'm literally screaming at my TV yesterday. Pull Brian Elliott, call a timeout, do something. And the guy didn't. He just stood there with the blank look on his face and was like, oh, I'm a coach in the NHL. This is what I do now. And it's like, no, like, and even post game, he admitted, I should have done something. I should have called a timeout. I should have pulled Brian Elliott. You know, that's. <clears throat> Brian Elliott's the guy, and Hackstall has said that, and he's been our best goalie all year. But when you're down three nothing, you gotta do something. That's that's what kills me. You after the fact, you know, in, in post game interviews with the media, that's when you make the admission that you know maybe I should have called a timeout after that third goal scored by Malkin. Why are you telling this to us now? Why why are you why are you coming to that conclusion post game and not making those decisions? In Game 3 of the Stanley Cup playoffs, this is not the time or the place where you need to be holding yourself. What it could have should have. Yeah, you know what I mean? You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be taking, you know, second guesses at this point in time or at this juncture, especially considering you have a game to play. This is this, Like I said, this is Game 3 of the Stanley Cup playoffs in a 1-1 series. And the thing that scared me the most, too is that the Pittsburgh Penguins were able to take the Wells Fargo Center crowd out of the game. When does that happen in Philadelphia? Like, how often are us Philly fans, you know, taken out of our home arena? The Wells Fargo Center, for whatever it be, Flyers, Sixers, Nova, you know, when we have an MLL team back, the The Philadelphia Soul. Yeah, you know, like, that place is a rockin' building, and the Pittsburgh Penguins came in and said, nah, brah, see ya. I, they just completely diffuse the fly, like the Flyers. They, you know, after 20 minutes in the first period, whatever the transition was in between the first and second, the Penguins came out and they just shut things down. And well, I don't know what their formula is per se, but you know, maybe this is these are questions that the Philadelphia Flyers and the coaching staff should be looking at because you can't you can't play a first period in your building like that and then go to lose the game 5-1. They, they went from being at a 10 to a 0 like Everything that. Everything was clicking. Everything, you know, even, even like... The only thing that didn't click was goal scoring. Like, I was... Like, I bludgeon this all the time, this point. Like I said, the deployment of players. There I go. I say it again. I should just get a soundbite with that. Like I said, it's my favorite a little clapping emoji. It's the deployment of players. Boy. For the, for the kids out there who like texting and emojis. But like, it's a lot for people in the back, hack. You know, deployment of players. Seriously, though, like, real. This is a real point because I, I'm getting, I'm stumbling on my words right now out of sheer and utter frustration. Well, because like, you know, there were besides you know making a timeout or pulling Elliott and switching to Marasic, there were things he could have done in the lineup just to even do it. He could have switched Michael Raffle and Travis Konechny from line one to line three. Go whoop. You have to be you have to be universal. You have to be able to make transitions and on the fly, especially need I say it again, the Stanley Cup playoffs in game three. Like this is this is an instance where you need to throw everything you have you know 
at the contest, at this game. And even, like I said, in the first period, like the Flyers were clicking. Everything was going well. It was hard to find, you know, weaknesses a, in the neg- game. a weakness yeah. or a negative point to, to, to bring up. You know, it was just not – it just didn't seem to be clicking. You know, they couldn't solve Murray in the first period. And it was just like this dramatic collapse. And I don't uh, – what do you pin that on? I mean, you, you, we all have our I mean, theories, but you can you can partially pin it a little bit on the players because you had your leadership group. You know, you have a quadru, a Wayne Simmons, a Jake Forchek, a Shane Goss spare players that are supposed to be leading your team. You can pin it on that. But at the end of the day, though, this what is the head coach's big responsibility of this team? It's to make sure his team is ready to go and ready to play and is in it for sixty minutes of hockey. And that has been one of Hacksaw's issues. It's also been one of the Flyers' issues issues this year. It's been being able to play a full 60-minute hockey game. You know what the saddest part is? Even even in the first period, I think the way Hackstall was, you know, sending the lines out, like the way he was staffing our team on the, the ice. The Flyers were kicking the play. It was working. They, they, had, they were finding ways to generate scoring chances and dominate the play, especially in the offensive zone. What, like, they, they were... This was a well-coached, well-staffed team for 20 minutes of play. Like, I, I just, it's astounding to think that th- this all would just change within a 15-minute period from the first period to the second period through an intermission. Like, I, I don't, you don't want to, you don't want to point fingers. You don't want to single out particular elements of a hockey team or an organization's failure to complete, you know, a win especially in the playoffs. But, you know, you have to start thinking, especially if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, what do we need to work on? What what needs to improve going into game four in Philadelphia? You know, this is not this is not something you can you can dwell on for a very long time. This is something where you, you do what you did from game one. You 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 take a sort of devastating, you know, maybe a frustrating loss in Pittsburgh to open up the playoffs and you find ways to to adjust and to, to rally for the game two. And you win the contest five to one in their building and you tie the series. Now you come home and you know, okay, fine. You play the best 20 minutes of hockey in this series. And in the 40 minutes, they just took a nap. Precisely. And that's, okay. you know what? It's done. It's over with game three has been decided and it's been settled, but going forward, you know, this, like I said, now you need to focus on game four. I mean, take the elements of what plagued you in game three and adjust them and work on it. But your focus now is game four and not, you know, not allowing history to repeat itself. Don't don't make the same mistakes again. You know, be beware the elements that lost you the game previously. Yeah, because game four has to go two ways. You win the game, you have an even series. And now the series is tied at two games apiece and it's a best of three. First team to win two more games advances to the semifinals. Or you lose, you're down 3-1, you're going back to Pittsburgh and can be eliminated. It is huge. Now, I, I, as many of you know, I picked the Flyers to win in six. That can still happen, but now they have to win the next. They have to win game three, game four. Or they, I'm sorry, they have to win game four, game five, and game six. They have to win the next three games in a row. Which is going to be a tall task against, against the defending Stanley Cup champions. But again, if they play the way they played in game two, it can be done. But they had to go back to playing that way. And also, I think now you have to make some changes. If you're Dave Hacksaw, you have to do something. Because it's been proven that the lineup that you have now, it is one for two in this series. And I 
I don't. It amazes me that Travis Konechny's been bumped down to the third line after what he did on that top line with Sean Couturier and and Claude Giroux. You know, he put up pretty much almost thirty points in the last twenty five games, and yet he gets demoted now. And um, the third line of Dupla, Konechny, and Simmons really hasn't done anything. You know, Konechny got that fancy, got his fabulous first career NHL playoff goal Friday, where he was kind of falling out like Superman, like. But then other than that, you know. He's been the only bright spot. You know, Konechny is a guy who can turn things on the Flyers' side, and he's being misused by his head coach right he's a, now. He's a game changer. In, in Early in his young career, he has already established a role as a game changer and a dictating force in, in, in the hockey, you know, for the Philadelphia Flyers, whether it's regular season or a playoff game. And that's something that's a strength that the Flyers need to utilize. I mean, I'm going to take the stance that I seem – to see other fans be taking right now. I, I agree with you know, Haxtell needs to Haxtell needs to assign it connecting to the first line and see how the productivity goes. I mean, you have to, I mean, we already know how it works. We saw it then the year. You have, you have to take the players that are playing well in your roster, which happens to be people like Travis Konechny, you know, people like our, uh, 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 you, you know, even like a, a Limblom, you know, we, these are, these are, pieces that you have to use, you know, because clearly these are options that are working. And also the, the options that are working, you also need to wake the options that are working. Like Claude Giroux hasn't really shown up in the playoffs yet. Jake Forchick's kind of been there. Where in the Wayne Simmons, where has Wayne Simmons been the last month and a half of the regular season and now in these playoffs? Something he's either playing injured or his mind's just not there anymore. He's the leader. He's an assistant captain on this team. And he, he needs to step up big time or else they're not going to go anywhere. You know, you can't just have Konechny and then Patrick and Ghost and Provorov, those guys scoring. You need what we made it in our point in our playoff preview episode that the Flyers' top guns needed to keep on going. Even as far as the, to, you know, extend the Simmons point, if you want to bring it up, Simmons is in, is in a contract year. No, he, is, he has one more year off on this deal. Well, that's what, he's within the year of a contract deal. So whether it's, you know, whether we see him go, like we've discussed previously in the podcast, at the deadline, if the Flyers are looking to go a different direction, or perhaps, like, he plays the rest of his, you know, contract out in Philadelphia and then chooses to sign, whatever the scenario is, he's coming down to his last year contracted by the Philadelphia Flyers. You think this could very well, depending on how things go, be his last playoffs in a Philadelphia Flyers uniform. And I think at this point, you have to be, if you're a player like that, you have to be looking at opportunities to, to bring up your stock in your worth, per se. Especially if you're looking to get, you know, the bonus that, you know, hit for perhaps a season like last year would have warranted for Wayne Simmons. So <clears throat> I don't think now is a time to go absent oh, no, it's in not. this roster. One with... That being a separate factor, if you if you're just looking at you know other pieces and you know, d- deeper deeper ideas of why you know a player like Simmons should show up, other than the fact that well you're in the Stanley Cup playoffs and your team needs you and relies on you to be productive, you know think of think of maybe take it outside of the box a little bit about what other reasons a guy like Simmons needs to sort of you know pick things up and, you know, kind of take the ball and run with it or 
insert your analogy here, you know, pick yeah. up the stick and skate. I, whatever. Tacky. It's frustrating because we've seen the way Simmer can play. And this year he had a couple injuries. Yeah, but then just ever, like I said, the last month and a half of the regular season and these playoffs so far, he hasn't done anything. And that's really concerning because the Flyers, you know, like we talked about in previous episodes, we're not re-signing Wayne Simmons come after next year. He's going to walk in free agency because he's just going to want too much money and too much term. And there's going to be other players that are going to be better than him in a couple of years. So something has to be done. And now the NHL draft is the new trade deadline. That's where all the big deals get done. And you can't afford to let Wayne Simmons walk for nothing. So it's going to be very interesting. I guess that's why I even just brought that up. Because, like, especially, like, it's 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 very strange to, to see him be very silent. Especially in a series against, like, like this against the Penguins. This is not the player we know. This is, this is, this is an opportunity. This is a scenario where he, a player like Wayne Simmons, usually would thrive. He, the f- feeding off the energy of like a home crowd at the Wells Fargo Center, especially against the Pittsburgh Penguins. No, do you think he's maybe discouraged because he's now on line three and been taken off the top power play unit? Do you think maybe that's playing and maybe a role in his mind? Like I've been being bumped down by my coach, but it really shouldn't because he wears that A on his sweater. And I don't think so because well, it's a, it's happened before. It hasn't. You would it, hope you think they've done it in the regular season. And he's, like I said, he's adjusted, and he's worked his way back up the lineup. And this, it's just, he just hasn't been able to do that. I mean, this is, you know, we're talking about professional athletes here. These guys, like, you understand, you know, you have a role on the team. And, you know, you, your job is to fulfill what the coaching staff asks you to do. And, you know, at this point, Wayne Simmons playing on the third line needs to, you know, be Wayne Simmons executing what – a third line player is expected to execute. You know, I don't think, I don't think that he's unable to assist the team and, you know, generate productivity and scoring on the third line. I think, you know, Wayne Simmons is a talented enough player to make it happen, but also he's, I'd say he's a little bit more dimensional than maybe he gets credit for. Maybe even at this point, he's giving himself credit for, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, in front of the net, you know, creating traffic and, you know, picking up, you know, rebounds and the the trash, dirty goals in front of the net. Or he doesn't have to he doesn't have to be within that point lead in the playoffs. Like he has other abilities that the Flyers could use to help capitalize. And you, you would th- you would think being put on this third line pairing, you're now going up against weaker players on the opposing team. Right. I mean so you think you thrive. He's, like I said, he's a he's a bigger player who is very skilled at using his frame, especially. You know, I would think that Simmons could even use this opportunity to maybe even show his expertise or his ability on the penalty kill, yeah. or even like you know his <clears throat> ability to shut down star players and key offensive performers for teams like the Penguins or what have you. You know, it, it like. He, we've seen him do it. You know, we've seen a lot of these guys on the Flyers team, you know, exemplify multiple different skill levels that they have that aren't just offensively. Like we've seen Claude Giroux, who gets sort of called, like I guess, like a, a very offensive-minded, more so pass-first player, but he still has the ability to put the goals in the net or like he has that sniper quality to him. And he also is a you know a talented stick handler, and you've seen the same with 
upcoming Flyers players like Konechny kind of emerging into that clutch performer or that like that game dictator that we talked about earlier. You know, this is the NHL. You know, we don't have like that that single, yeah, one-dimensional player who has like that one role and that that one ability to do that. Yeah. And something else that I want to get brought up, too, is, you know, it was brought to me in my attention yesterday that I had some people say, you know, maybe this team just wasn't good enough to make the playoffs, or maybe this just team isn't good enough to compete with, to compete with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm calling complete and utter BS on that. This team is good enough. They showed it. They got into the playoffs. They got 96-plus points in the regular season. They climbed into that third spot in the division. This team is good enough. This team is talented enough. It has the players. Just something is going on where things aren't clicking right now. And so, you, you know, that's why in the essay we talked about earlier now, that's why something has to be done. And, you know, it's, it's just it's upsetting to hear others' fans that they've been strong and supportive just be so negative and, like, they've given up hope. Like, that's not what us playoffs Philly fans are known for. We're not supposed to be this wishy-washy, you know, oh, no, we're losing. I guess we're giving up now. Like, that's not the Philadelphia attitude, and I'm not a big fan of that. And I'm seeing way too much of it on my social media platforms here. It's almost embarrassing, if you ask me. I don't like it. I don't like the attitude. And, you know, the players are going to find out about it, and that's not going to help their attitudes, but you're hoping you're being a professional athlete that you you don't let that, you know, fall back out of your mind. It's just, it's... Claude Giroux addressed that to the media after game... After game two when they won, he said to your daughters, here you go. And so, you know, it's just, I don't get it. You know, I'm seeing, I'm I'm not trying to go about this a negative or a harsh way, but I'm seeing too many people, too many Philadelphia Flyers fans on my Facebook and Instagram and Twitter who would them themselves brag saying, oh, I'm a hardcore diehard Flyers fan saying, nah, Pens in four after game one, or after Sunday, oh no, pens in five. Like, I'm sorry. No. Give me a corner of your fan card. Because you've lost it. That's not the attitude you have to have as a fan. What, what are your thoughts, Jake? I'm very passionate about this, because it gets me angry. It gets me very angry. Because that's not the Philadelphia attitude. According to uh, Bill Smith in the comments, I, uh, I apparently talk too much. Oh, hi, Billiam. You see that? Yeah, yeah. It says Jake talks too much. I guess I'll try to keep this short then. Uh, I just talked a lot right there, so, you know. <laughs> oh, well. I mean, I'm not really concerned about it. But, <clears throat> I mean, it is it is frustrating. I, I don't understand people's, you know, they're so quick to, to lose faith. They're, they're just so quick to essentially jump ship on a team that they were so willing to support in that push to the playoffs. That's ridiculous. You know, I mean, you, you, you can't. You can't sit there and get behind the team when they're making that push for the playoffs and they clinch a spot and you're going like, oh, Flyers, 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 you know, we're going to take it this year, whatever these people have to say. And, you know, they, they face some adversity, you know, in game one. They, they redeem themselves in game two. And, you know, the adversity kind of strikes back in game three and then you lose them again. And that's the problem. It's game three of a best of seven series. Again, best of seven. You know, like I said, if you, if you play the way you played in game two, Wednesday night, and you win, 
It's 2-2. And then all these Fairweather fans, I'm just going to call them Fairweather fans. Oh, oh yeah, you know, there's a shot again. But you know what? I, honestly, I don't know how they'll react because, you know, if they win, gonna, oh, watch, they'll blow it in Pittsburgh. But you know, at this point, if you're going to act that way, don't watch the Flyers. Don't post on social media about them. Because, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to be a fan of a team. You know, and it's frustrating because, you know, to trade how much, you know, go birds, you know, you know, when Carson Wentz went down, it was, oh, this team's toast. This team can't hack it. It's not good enough. And what happened? BD Nick happened. I'm not going to say those words because we like to keep this this podcast family friendly. But Nick Foles took this team on his back and they went and the Eagles went somewhere. Now, I'm going to, again, the, many people have, like the Eagles were the underdogs. The Flyers are the underdogs. The difference is, is the other Eagle stars rose to the occasion. And as of right now, you're not seeing the big stars that got the Flyers in the playoffs making that, that push. Maybe that's what's discouraging a lot of the fans. But then at the same time, though, you know, just have a little faith. Like, please. Like, this team wasn't even supposed to make the playoffs this year. They were penned as a bubble team. We were playing with house money. And pe- people are probably right. The New Jersey Devils and the Columbus Blue Jackets probably lost on purpose that last week of the season to not play the defending two-time Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins. I've, I've been hearing that a lot, and I've heard that from TSN, from anchors on Sportsnet, on ESPN, NBC. Those are all big-time hockey well, news carriers. At that point, you're, then you're questioning the integrity of NHL hockey. You're like, you, well, it's it's yeah. a team. It's a team thing about what's best for me. Oh, do we want to go in and play Pittsburgh first round, or you know, you have Columbus saying, "I'd rather play the Washington Capitals because they tend to choke," and and then you have the Devils saying. We'll take our shots with the Atlantic Division, but you know, how's that? How well is that really going to What does that say about now? your team then? Like, ultimately, doesn't that hint at your own skepticism? As, well, I think a, a lot of the other NHL was scared to play the Penguins first round. I think the Flyers are honestly the best matchup that the league could get out of this because you're getting some good hockey. Even though the Flyers haven't played that great in two out of the three games so far. It's still good hockey. It's still playoff hockey. It's still hard-hitting. It's exciting. It's fun. And, yes, frustrating. But it's playoff hockey, something we weren't even supposed to see this year. I say, you know, this is – whether it's in Philadelphia or, you know, across the league in the NHL, you know, the Flyers the Flyers are like Ronnie Dangerfield. They get no respect, you know. And it, it's it, – with for between these Fairweather fans, like, I wonder these if these same people, you know, when they're watching the Sixers game, if they play tonight – they do play tonight. Yeah, like when they're watching the Sixers game tonight, or hypothetically, if the Sixers were to not play so well like they did on Saturday or, yeah, Saturday night, you know, and they were to drop a game and it got particularly ugly. I want to see, I wonder if they were going to be as fair weathered with the Sixers as they would be with the Flyers. And the same goes for like maybe the Phillies or the Eagles. I feel like the, the Flyers have a tendency to be that redheaded stepchild of sports teams in the city of Philadelphia, and, you know, when when they're doing well, when they're playing well. Everyone's a fan. They Everyone everyone supports. Everyone's there for, you know, they're in for the long haul. But, you know, once they drop a game 5-1 to one against Pittsburgh at home, all of a sudden these people just ghost. They're gone. Well, you know what I think the difference is? Is the Sixers were supposed to be good this year. You know, the trust the process thing is supposed to be making a fold. You know, they were supposed to be good. They were supposed to be a playoff team in the end of this year. And the Sixers went up to that hype. Now you have the Flyers, who is a, ne- a very negative mentality. You know, they 
lost 10 in a row this year. It was a very wishy-washy, up-and-down regular season. And they get in, so then you attract, this, you attract the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, just... If you're going to hop on, hop on for the hall. Also, to, to, to elaborate when I said, like, you know, they have that they have that lack of respect between the rest of the Philadelphia sports community, but more so even just in the in the hockey community and in the NHL community, you know, all these teams want, want to kind of sit back and hypothetically lose their games and let the Flyers play the Penguins. So what does that say? Regardless of, regardless of what the outcome of the series is, if the Flyers lose to the Penguins, hypothetically, you're still playing the Pittsburgh Penguins. But you're playing a weakened Pittsburgh Penguins. Or even if even if the Flyers were to win, does does it get easier for you? Or is that what you're making? No, the implication because, you're making? No, because then, then you're playing a Philadelphia Flyer team who just beat the defending cup champions. Two times defending Stanley Cup champions. At that point, they become the team to beat, not Pittsburgh. So I don't know what teams like New Jersey or you know, Columbus. Columbus or you know, even Washington, other teams within the division and within the conference are looking to achieve with with that idea. If that's the case, if they really went and sort of like botched those games to well, get Washington won the division and they're being typical Washington. They've been up by at least three goals in their first two games and they lost both the games in overtime. They're down two nothing in the Blue Jackets right now. Yeah, it, it just it, it doesn't make sense to me to, to, to do that because like. To me, that just makes. I mean, you'll, I just assume that that means oh, well, let the Flyers play them. You know, like let the Flyers, you know, tire them out. That you know they're gonna they're gonna lose that series regardless. But you maybe they'll take a they'll take a chunk of energy out of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, what happens if the Flyers win the series? What happens if the Flyers are able to clinch a second round playoff berth? What do you do then? <laughs> are you just as nervous? Because you should be, in my opinion. Because you're facing a team that was able to eliminate the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions in the first round of the playoffs. It, the, the, the narrative doesn't change. No, it doesn't. But, you know, there's this idea that Philadelphia doesn't have the capability to, you know, slide into that contention as maybe a, a sleeper. A sleeper or maybe a cup contender, you know? And I or you, I don't think, are making that guarantee or saying that. No, we're not. But, you know, you have to keep your options open. You know, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Anything can happen. It's a new season, for sure. Like, I am a firm believer in that. Like, it's a clean slate for those teams who, the 16 teams who make it into the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's an opportunity to take what you did in the or the previous 82 games and make amends for it and give yourself an opportunity to go to the final or to, to continue like, like a Capitals or like a Nashville, you know, they have had great seasons. They, they get the accolades in the regular season and you go and maybe you make a, you make a stink in the playoffs. You know, maybe the Predators go to the final again this year and they redeem themselves after, you know, a Stanley Cup final loss. They kind of come full circle and, yeah, the hatch yeah. yeah. I just want to address that, you know, it's something that gets me very heated because, you know, there are times when, you know, you know how Philadelphia fans can be in general, you know, it's very like, oh, well, I'm a bigger fan than you are, yada, yada, yada. And then here, then you have these same people going, oh, well, I'm throwing in the towel. You know, it's, it's just not fair. And this is not necessarily supposed to be a critique on the fan base across the board for all Philadelphia sports. 
but it, it is disheartening for people who are, you know, are diehard fans. They're actually, in, yeah, they're invested for the long haul with the Flyers. They're they're expecting a winning team. They're, they're they're expecting the Flyers to succeed. It's like these people they they see the Flyers succeed, and they 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 kind of like. Like, it's like taking, like, there's people at the deli. Like, you take a deli number or whatever, and it's like, okay, you know, I want I want a place for my order. Let's let's see, you know. But, you know, then once when things go south, you know, they just they just abandon it. You know, they deb- they don't want a, any part of it. Like, you can't you can't have it that way. That's not that's not how professional sports works. No. That's not how it works in the NHL. That's not how it works in the NFL. That's not how it works in the NBA or the MOB. Like, this is this is not – this is not how life works, you know. You can't just like, oh, you know, oh, I want, I want to support this team. I want to be a part of this. Like, oh, you know, the Flyers are doing well. You know, maybe they can, you know, prove a point in the playoffs. Like, you know, I, let me put myself in, you know, that light to be, you know, a Flyer supporter. And then once they like drop a five to one loss in their own building, it's, oh, well, maybe next year. That typical. Philly motto. And, you know, it's it's not really, you know, the team, a series is never really over in the, in the NHL playoffs until the trailing team loses its first game at home. And the Flyers were tied yesterday. So, again, if they lose Wednesday night, that is a big deal. Then you're like, all right, now you're down 3-1. But it's just, it's just something, you know, have a little more faith. Let's be happy here, you know. Think of the positives. Think of the positive energies. And let's go forward and true for this team and everyone be united and have some fun. Just watch That's the, what it's supposed to be. Just watch the games. Just, just, just see what happens. Like, don't sit there and try to pretend like you're an expert or you're going to be able to predict the outcome of what's going to happen because you won't. Just watch the games, and if you're a fan, enjoy if you, it. If you support it, you know, stick stick around for the ride. You know, see what happens. You know, this is it's fresh. I see uh, Josh's comment down with that. Down with heck. Well, Josh, you yeah. you know I'm very much a for then. This guy's this is a nice segue. So thank you, Josh. Going into this, you know, I saw earlier on uh, Twitter today, um, I think it was Flyers Nation tweeted it, a stat about Dave Hackstall and his playoff losses as head coach this team. And listen to these numbers. It's scary. It doesn't make me feel very good. And it, I think, points a lot of to him as a head coach. So these are the... Playoff losses under Dave Hackstall. 2-0 Washington. 4-1 Washington. 6-1 Washington. 1-0 Washington. 7-0 Pittsburgh. And 5-1 Pittsburgh. Getting the doors blown off your own barn and not scoring goals to come back, becoming a a uncurring, recurring theme. And that is a big reason why I am not a fan of this head coach. I you know I have plenty of faith in the Flyers players and the Flyers prospects. I just don't think you know he lacks the inability to analyze what's going on in the game and make the on-the-fly decisions that you need to do as a head coach. Can you tell we're uh, numbers and athletics people here? <laughs> I mean, kind of. We're getting there, you know. But you know, no, it's a uh, it, it is it can be very telling to see those statistics and those numbers, especially. Facing Dave Hackstall as a head coach in the NHL playoffs, but I try not to. I try not to weigh too much into that because, you know, 
I don't know. I don't know how much it really like proves. Like, if you have Hackstall, who's been a coach in the NHL for like twenty years, for all like, like a two decade career behind the bench, like, and you have statistics like that, like, okay, maybe that says something. But he's still only been for he, three years. He still has only been like a three year NHL head coach. Granted, we don't know his capabilities if he has that to be one. It is questionable, but. I'm going to give him credit here. where credit's due. You know, it's, it's not like he has an extensive history, you know, taking, you know, the Flyers or an NHL roster to the playoffs. You know, and just, when he was in North Dakota, that team was a perennial failure. They would they would be expected to do well, go well deep in the Frozen Four in the NCAA tournament. And what they do? Drop the ball consistently. And he had some really good players. He had TJ Oshie, Jonathan Caves. Yeah, you know, I I can find in more players, but that team never did anything. And when they needed to step up and win, when they were supposed to win and be that dominant team in the NCAA men's ice hockey, they didn't do it. And who was their head coach? Dave Axel. He has a problem when it seems be winning when it's important. <laughs> and that's scary. It's scary. You know, he was a guy no one really knew of. You know, Ron Hexel went off the book and said, oh, here's this University of North Dakota coach. I'm going to nab him. And I'm all very interested to see how that happens. He's coached some good talent before. Let's maybe this season to translate ball to the NHL. You know, made the playoff twice out of three years. That's not bad. But, you know, is he's very comparable to Chip Kelly. But even Chip Kelly had more success in college than Dave Hextall did. But it's just, you would think with those big losses – and things he would look at the stats, look at the numbers, and say, "I need to do something," and he's just not. <laughs> yeah, it's. it's it, I do question. It's very. It's very interesting to see, you know, s- silence from from the GM in this point. Like Hextall has been very, very quiet throughout this this series, and he hasn't really commented on anything. I feel like usually the media, I feel like, would berate the whole organization at this point. You're seeing that more so from fans, like you're, criticizing Hexall as a GM. You're, you're barking down the doors of not only the head coach and just the rest of his staff, but the general manager, just hockey operations, the owner, what have you. Everybody wants an answer for something. Especially, you know, oh, you know, the Flyers just lost 5-1 on their home ice, you know, in front of their home fans. Like, you know, it must be catastrophe. So, it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, I like to say that it's a good sign that, you know, the organization isn't allowing themselves to be affected by criticism. But, you know, then you think, like, when you have Claude Drew making comments after game two on Friday night after a win saying, you know, well, this is for the doubters. Obviously, they're hearing the complaints and the skepticism from the fan base. Well, I think Ron Hexel just doesn't give a crap. He doesn't care. When the fans are chanting fire Hexel on that 10-game losing streak, he said, I'm sticking with my eye because this is his hire. You know, I think maybe, you know, it was brought up in a, another comment on my post yesterday that, you know, Ron Hextall is just not a good GM, hasn't drafted any good players since the 2015 draft. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I completely disagree with that. I think Ron Hextall is one of the best general managers we have had on the Philadelphia Flyers. Right. History. You know, he didn't he didn't deter away a superstar like, like Bobby Clark did and ruin a potential Stanley Cup winning championship team. He didn't overspend on free agents and make quick of the middle trade saying this this would be good like Paul Hungren. 
Ron Hextall has taken that trust the process mentality, and he's brought that from the Sixers to the Philadelphia Flyers. It all comes back to Sam Hinkie. Sam Hinkie, you know, everything just like everything revolves around Deadpool in my life. Say everything revolves around Sam Hinkie in this scene. I would trust the process. Sam Hinkie died for our sins. And you know, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you know maybe the fly, you know, the Flyers. Even if they do beat the Penguins, they're probably not winning the cup this year. But they're going to be a cup contending team. Uh, Dave, you're getting skeptical now. I don't like your, your doubt in the Flyers' ability to uh, be a cup contender. Well, I mean, personally, in my bracket, I have them going to the what, Eastern Conference Final. I, I, I have them losing to Tampa Bay there. I have them being the Penguins and being in the Cavs. I can't do that. Like I, I, I mean, no <laughs> disrespect, but like I, I, when it comes down to something like this, I don't, I don't know if I can sit there and rank like my team. Okay, like they're gonna do this this round, and they're gonna go here, and they're gonna do this in this many games, and this is this is where they're gonna plateau, especially with a team like, like the Philadelphia Flyers, where you know, anything is really possible. And I'm I'm not saying that this is like a 2010 caliber team or like a, a another, any other Flyers teams that have been able to see success after I wouldn't say a mediocre season, but like a less than stellar, less than what they planned season, but. You know, we should see because if they if they beat the Penguins in however many games that's going to take, you know, who's to say you know how they're going to play the next round? They could they could beat whoever they meet, or they could just be so tired and hurt they're going to fizzle out. Right. It's 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 right. all it's all a crapshoot. And also, the thing is, uh, going back to the whole Hextall thing, you know, being a bad GM, he's not. I'm just going. He's not a bad GM. I think he's a good one. He's one of the best in the league. He knows what he has. He has a plan. He's doing it. I think he just maybe has a problem with the head coach who isn't seeing his plan the same way. And um, so it's just interesting to see going forward. You know, we have Carter Hart coming, but he at least needs – people always say the goaltending's not good enough. The goaltending's not good enough. You know, we haven't had a good goaltender since Hexy was in his prime. And so now we have Carter Hart and Orfeo Stantrum's more than so like Carter Hart. So all the hockey analysts and – Big guys for Sportsnet and TSN up in Canada are saying, you know, wait for Carter Hart and Phil, you know. But unless Carter Hart comes in next year and is, like, lights out, best goalie in training camp, he's going to the American League, and he's probably going to start with the Phantoms. He needs that year. Like, even Carey Price. You know, I've been a stat saying how he just jumped right into the NHL. He didn't. He played two games for the for the Hamilton team, I believe, when they were located in Hamilton, Ontario, or the Montreal Canadiens, far yeah, the American the League. And then he went in and was the starter for the playoffs, and they won that Calder Cup. And then he started that next year in the AHL, like, and lasted there a week. And then they called him up to the Montreal Canadiens, and the rest has been history. You know, unless Carter Hart does something like that this season, I mean, who knows? But right now, he was just staying the WHL goaltender of the week again for the billionth time this season by the CHL. And his Everett Silvertips, I believe, are now in the – finals of their conference to go play for a chance to win the WHL and then go to the MasterCard Memorial Cup. So, you know, we have, we have Hart coming. We have other prospects coming like Phil Myers, Sam Moran. You know, we have, a, it's just, there's a lot of talent we have in this team. And that Hextall, Hextall inherited an empty cupboard, pretty much. That Paul Hogram said, because they were very much in a win-now mentality when Ed Snyder, rest, rest in peace, was still around. And you know, Paul Holm was at the helm of GM. They were in a win now. So the Phantoms were bad because they had no good players on that roster. 
they were all traded away and prospects were traded away for aging career players to try and get the team the next step, and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So then towards the end of Paul Holmes career, you saw that whole tail off. Hexall inherited an empty cupboard, and now he's been restocking it. And now I say it's very it's it's a nice stocked fridge. It's like you just got back from the grocery store and you spent a lot of money, but it's worth it. And then you go over, your friend comes over, and he maybe has something better. So, you know, you trade one piece for another piece that improves your team overall. You know, it's 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 all part of the plan. And just have some faith. I agree. Um, I definitely agree with the idea that, you know, previous Flyers management had the idea of that, that win now. Where they're willing, to, they're willing to part with prospects and potential organizational players for experience and like win now players like for instance like perhaps it may work to your favor but like acquiring pieces like a chris pronger back in the day like elements that would bring a winning pedigree and caliber to your team well chris pronger worked out until you know he got his eye slashed right and that's that of course that's an example of how it worked but you know there's also times where it just sort of came to bite the flyers back like chris golov this funny is, Breeze wasn't a bad goalie. It's just, he, there were countless times where you're looking back at it now, where Breeze, and even back in the day, I was a Briz defender, and then I kind of lost favor, but then looking back, I look back at tape and stuff in quotes, Briz told, in Laddie's system, you know, the jam, the guy who always looked up to this, this is the coach we need back in Philadelphia. He told his defensemen, his goalies, listen, my defensemen are going to block shots. Then Briz comes to town and says, I want to make the first stop. Let me see the puck. And Lazzy goes, nah, our defensive block shots here. And then you kind of saw how things played out with Briz. And then because of how we got Briz in our deal, then Paul Hogram decided to trade Bobrovsky away. Who Bobrovsky's now one of Vesna. He'll probably be a Vesna finalist this year again. And because of a move you made, you had to trade away this other good piece. See, I think Briscoff is a um is another example of what many Flyers goaltenders have had trouble with, which is consistency. And a, and a, 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 a climbing to the Philadelphia area. It's it's a it's a very it's like I said earlier. It's a sports passionate town, and the media is all over you. And Briss played in Anaheim and Phoenix. Not really mean Anaheim more so than Phoenix, but Phoenix not really known for its hockey. He kind of you know if he had a bad game. What he faced? Two beat writers? Come to Philadelphia, you have a bad game, you have a locker room full of them. It's like the sheep and the wolves. Yeah, definitely. Like he, you know, he'd have performances where he, he'd go like an entire month. What was it that April or that March of that year where he, he posted up like six or seven shutouts? He has the Flyers all time shutout right here. Precisely. Now. Like you'll have Anelia Briskov who can perform that way. And put those kind of numbers and, you know, acquire records for franchises. I mean, he's out of the league now for a reason, obviously. But, you know, then you have that that sort of, you know, that discouraged sort of head case version of Brzezgalov, like, in the Winter Classic. Oh, good good news, guys. I'm not, I'm not playing. I have my thermos on the bench. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> Cringeworthy. We oh laughed at God. it then. I mean, it was yeah. funny, like, oh, oh Briz, what? You're not starting? You're like, well, Thermos? But <laughs> it's humongous big. Right. Like, that was 
you have those moments. I remember watching the 24-7 special and listening to Mizgal, like, oh, you know, everybody told me that I'm going to hell and it's a horrible goalie market and they go hard on the goalies here, like, which we all laughed at there, like, oh, it is true, but, like, what incredible foreshadowing that was. I know. As far as his career Listen, in You know something was up when Yarmir Yager, you know, we all love Yags, but definitely one of the weirdest superstars to ever be in this game. When Yags thinks Brizgov was weird, you know something was up. Did you see his tweet the other night? Briz, oh yeah, he's like, hey, he, Briz, t- during game one in the Penguins series, Briz tweeted at the Philadelphia Flyers in a picture in front of a diner. Hey guys, I'm ready, or something along those lines. Right, like, and I was like, you know, at this point, I'd probably take you back. (laughs) But that was when it was like six nothing in in game one. Right, we're definitely getting a little diverted here. Yeah, we are. The the Brzgov heyday. To 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 regroup back into the the Elliot. You know, Elliot. You know, we've said this before. He's Steve Mason. He's Maybe a little bit better than Steve Mason. Just a little bit. Not, it's not a whole lot. Look the keto. It's tiny. It's tiny. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you take take that one. I'm not gonna comment on Steve Mason. I have, it's it's just I have I have nothing valuable to offer. Both the always Steve Mason and Brian Elliott, when they were hot, were like this guy is the next, you know, wow, look at him. You know, he's fantastic, he's wonderful. And then when it's bad it's like his glove and blocker and leg pads are falling off, and he can't. He's Swiss cheese. He's literally transformed into Swiss cheese. Yes, you do know what I'm talking about because you see it before you just want to admit it because you hate him so much. But we're not gonna get into that argument. We've had that too many times. My our viewers, our viewers don't need to hear because that doesn't get that that ranks the PG-13, and we want to keep this podcast my, PG. My hatred is validated. So, That's know, all I have to say. And Brian Elliott, and even in Game One in that Pittsburgh series. A couple of the goals where he got pulled were fluke plays or just luck. Like the Crosby goal, banging out of midair the third time he's done this month, like, that's just skill. You know, like, that's just ridiculous, crazy skill. Like, this guy is the best player in the world. Non-hockey people would lose their mind over that, but you have to understand the caliber of player committing a play like that and understand it. It's just things, it's, situations like that are almost unavoidable. You just have to t- chalk it off as... This is the best player in professional hockey right now. And in game one, the Penguins came to win. And they, you know, but there was a couple things that could have happened. Where, you know, the Flyers, you know, Watton missed a really good chance. Murray made a save. You know, that could have changed. Who knows? Could change. But hindsight's twenty twenty. Could have changed the whole game. We spun back with a great game to performance. And even yesterday, Elliott wasn't terrible. In that first period, in that first half, the second period before, you know, he played he made some good and even when they were down 5 to 1 he was still making some good saves the problem was the players just in the team just gave up cuz they could sense the Wells Fargo gave up the Wells Fargo center gave up on them so the team just kind of went flat you couldn't have asked for a better start in a playoff game for the Philadelphia Flyers and just <laughs> they just drop the ball it was after 20 minutes. It's not, I, mean, I get kind of why so-called the fans who were commenting on my posts, you know, and were saying all these things. I get why they're saying it because you weren't really seen. You weren't really given a lot to say, oh, I have, I, I can have this hope. And that's what there's difference between the Fairweather fan and the real fan. Because the real fan goes, I've watched this team for 82 games and now in the playoffs. I've seen bad and I've seen the high. 
And even and the real fan goes even during that ten game that ten game losing streak, which was o five and five, they weren't that bad. Like they were still playing good enough to win at times, just they didn't get the lucky bounce. The Flyers in games in the first twenty minutes of Game Three and all Game Two were the better hockey team. It's been a pretty even series. You know when the Flyers and Penguins play each other, we're talking about this in the car. It's not really close hockey games. When one team wins, they blow out the other. And it goes back and forth. I mean, I can get the concern from people and other fans and why it's not its not an easy feeling to see the Flyers lose a game like that, that way. But like you said, we, we discussed this earlier. The Philadelphia Flyers, you know, in the history of playing the Penguins in the playoffs, this is something that's happened. This isn't like a strange matter where like we're this is a foreign thing to watch or to see this team do. In the past, you've seen the Flyers blow a Penguins team out in Pittsburgh for Pittsburgh to come back and blow a Flyers team out in Philadelphia. It's very back and forth. And it's just, it just kind of comes down to what team comes out with the jump that night, which is sort of gets the early goals. Exactly. Matt Murray yesterday was on his game. And now Matt Murray now in his young career, after a loss in the playoffs, He's now nine and one, nine and one. Like when I saw, I was texting Jake during the game, I was like, I'm worried about how Matt Murray is playing. You know, the Flyers are dominating again. Their chances. I kept on saying, Murray is scaring me because he's in the zone. If you watch the replay, when Konechny had that chance, where kind of missed the open net. Konechny, it was quoted by saying by Chris Terrian or the NBC crew, I forget who it was. So Pierre McGuire said that. Um, Konechny told Murray, you got lucky there. And what did Matt Murray do? He smiled and winked back at Konechny. When a goalie smiles and winks when it's a scoreless game, that's trouble. He's, because he's he worried. is in he's, he's in his zone. He's com- what, what's, he's what's, the, what's the song with Jay-Z and Kanye? Like, don't catch me in my zone. That's Matt Murray. He was in the zone. Yes, a title that we're not going to say over. No, no. Because that's that's rated R. That's why I'm a RPG rating. We're just driving. <laughs> anyway, but um, that's especially going into Game Four. That's something that the Flyers have to look at. They have to find ways to solve Matt Murray because he is he is obviously a lights out performer, in, especially in the playoffs. He, this is how he got his his break on the Penguins roster. He and essentially, you know, in the absence of Flurry, Flurry was hurt. He was the best goaltender the past two seasons before that in the American Hockey League. He was one of the best in the OHL with the Sioux St. Marie Greyhounds. Pittsburgh essentially took a chance in that in that first cup run two years ago on Matt Murray thinking, like, oh, okay, well, let's throw caution at the wing here and well, see the, how we do. Well, the stats were there to back it up. Like, it, was, it made mm-hmm. sense there with Murray there. But true. The stats back you understand, but he's still, it's still been an experienced exactly. goaltender, so you never know. It's almost similar to what we'll be going through with Carter Hart. <laughs> we hope. But when it comes when it comes down to it, he he didn't just come in and perform. He came in and he, I like to he say stole he a single handedly allowed Mark, the Pittsburgh Penguins yeah. to win the Stanley Cup. And he stole Marc Andre Fleury's starting job. And the year that the Pens won that first cup, Fleury was angry and not happy. And then something happened where I guess Fleury and the Penguins mended forces, and then he was happy last he went year. To the sports and, therapist again. And and now he's a Vegas Golden Knight and. He's going to be a Vezina finalist because he's starting again. This Matt Murray kid stole my job and won a cup with my team. 
you know, he's got four he's, he's got four hundred plus wins now. He's he's something. But you know, Flurry has four hundred plus wins. But I was saying that. Yeah. Matt Murray is something. But no, he, Matt Murray is definitely something. And it is concerning because you know he just seems to ever since you know the inception of his career, beginning in the Stanley for the most part, beginning in the Stanley Cup playoffs back in twenty sixteen. He's he's kind of had mediocre regular seasons. Like this year, he went through a lot. Matt Murray this year, his dad passed away. He was probably playing for a, we think a month with the concussion, and the Penguins are just kind of it's an upper body injury. We're not going to say it out loud. I and mean, if it really isn't, if it really was a concussion, rut row, because that's going to be a big deal later down the line. But you know, it's he's a playoff performer goalie. And what what maybe scares me a little bit too is let's say the Flyers do even up this series. That 9-1 stat, the media's going to hound all over that, and the Flyers are going to hear that. And you're hoping they'll come out and they'll play the way they need to win. Because it's funny, because Matt Murray, he's worse coming off a win than he is coming off a loss. Goalies are weird. Goalies are just weird. Right. People are just weird. We're very weird. But I guess, you know, we'll, we'll see. It is... I mean, it should be interesting to see how the Flyers respond to Game Three. You know, where they stay, come back to home. They they go back to the Wells Fargo Center. I mean, the good the good four. thing is, you know, they have some time off. Next mm-hmm. Game Four is until Wednesday night. Right. So they had last night their rest. It gives They're you an opportunity practice to today, practice and regroup. View the tape, see what you did wrong, go forward, make. Hopefully, Dave Haxtell, if you're listening, make the correct changes in your lineup and deployment of players. I can't say it enough. Oh, my God. It gives me a headache. Like, after the way this team has played, you know, I want to say to people, you know, where I when I was being skeptical after game one and they won a game two, I got told by a couple people, well, he did it and they won, but now he did it again and they lost. And I look yesterday, but besides the Flyers, then after they lost their mojo and lost their hope, they start taking undisciplined penalties, which is something you can't do against against the Pittsburgh Penguins. You had questionable players in the lineup that didn't play good. Brandon Manning did not have a good game yesterday. He has not had a good game in this series. He played okay in game two. Game one, trash. Game three, trash. You have Robert Haig sitting in the stands. You have a Jordan Wheel and a Taylor Lear sitting in the stands. And you mm-hmm. have a Yuri Laterra and a Brandon Manning on the ice. You have a a, a Travis Konechny on the third line, a third line that's doing nothing. You have a Michael Raffle on the top line that isn't really doing anything. Switch them. Do something. Change the formula. Get this team going. Hack, it's your job as a coach to do this. So do it. Yeah, so I guess to be more specific, Brandon Manning, I believe, in late in the second period yesterday – when he took that penalty against oh, he took a, he, he took um he kind of sh- gave a nice little shot to Patrick Cornquist and we know Patrick Cornquist is a typical Pittsburgh Penguins player Oscar award winner <laughs> he is that type of player who, you know Patrick Cornquist don't get me wrong he's a good agitating he's a good power forward he's a good player but he knows how to act and embellish he got called for it in game two See, I, so any any shove he takes when they're up and the Flyers playing undisciplined. He's going to flop too. And granted, the shove that Manning gave him was a good shove, and maybe it wasn't a flop. 
But definitely, you know, he's going to fall. His skates are going to be awfully light there, and his edges are going to be a little dull. As far as that first, that first incident with, because we haven't really, you know, we haven't been on the podcast. We haven't really discussed any of the Flyers playoffs or the playoffs at all since they began last Wednesday. But, you know, throughout the last three games, if we're going to talk about like that Cornquist, you know, embellishment call, I'm not necessarily sure that I agree that he embellished on the play. I do truly believe that at that point he had turned his back and he did lose his edge from being shoved by McDonald. Did, McDonald did give him a little bit of a nudge. So he did kind of go into the boards. It was awkward looking, but it was, it, I wouldn't say that it was voluntary. I wouldn't necessarily agree with the embellishment call, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a penalty Regardless, even if like the if the Flyers had been you know penalized, that, that brings up another thing. The refs in this series haven't been very good for either team. You know, in this game three yesterday or Sunday, yeah, yesterday. I'm getting my days mixed up. It's only Monday. Well, I need the weekend now. But you know, for the first half of the game yesterday, they didn't call anything. Play, boys, go have fun, play some good hard playoff hockey. And then, it, like, as soon as the score started going up, oh, we're calling everything now. We can't lose control of this game. But when you go half the game not calling anything, it's going to cause problems. And the game yesterday did start to get a little bit chippy towards the end. And then you had players in the Flyers, Jake Voracek. I love Jake Voracek, but when he gets unloose and the screws come undone, he likes the high stick guys a lot. He got called for two high-sticking penalties yesterday. And I'm pretty sure the Penguins scored on both those power plays. I'm pretty sure the Penguins scored on that power play on the Manning on Horncrest play. I think that was the, uh, the mocking goal. It probably was. But it's just, you know, and again, it's saying, you know, it's something that we talked about. The Flyers need to play disciplined. And you can't have these lesser players on the ice. Not that I'm calling Jake Borchick a lesser player, but a Brandon Manning making dumb plays. This is this is something that we outlined in our preview for sure, like that this was going to be a factor going into the series that the Philadelphia Flyers have to play through and against that in, antagonizing sort of just that it's the getting mentality of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Granted, like you said, you, you'll have. You know, whether you want to call, you know, Hornquist is the diver, you know, or, you know, Crosby embellished this play or, you know, maybe even Sheary, like, bit his lip, you know, if you really want to try and shit sell it. But when it comes down to it, the Flyers are accepting the challenge. They're, they're, they're not skating away from the hostility like they should be. And they're, they're engaging in play that is only going to hinder them. And like I said, this is something we talked about before. And it's something that is going to ultimately lead to their demise, especially in this playoffs, if they can't reel it in. Now, the the Flyers' PK was actually doing pretty well up until yesterday's game. Mm-hmm. I think they were one for nine. You know, they, they or I'm sorry, they were, they killed nine. They only allowed like one goal out of nine chances on the power play. So, they, you know, they were playing much better than the, Pittsburgh, than the Pittsburgh Penguins' PK versus power play. But then they kept on giving the Penguins looks and opportunities yesterday. And the Penguins probably then said, thank you very much. One thing I want to point out, after that third goal, after Malkin scored the third goal for the Penguins, what did he do after that? 
you know, there's a play along the benches or the board. Oh, he like he goes, flash connect me in his knee or no, something. No, I think he just straight up, he just dumped him right against the board. Like, regardless of the fact, he draws a penalty or connect me draws a penalty against Malkin, who just who just took allowed his, you know, he scored a goal that allowed his team to take a three goal lead on the Philadelphia Flyers. You know, that's quite. That's questionable inside of itself, you know. But like, why is Evgeny Malkin taking penalties after you know you just scoring a third three. goal for your team? But those are things that the Flyers need to capitalize on. They need to get Malkin. I mean, it's 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 hard Toronto to get. just scored. It's hard to get Crosby off his game because you know he is the best in the world, and it's, he doesn't get rattled very often. He hasn't really gotten rattled since we beat the Penguins back in 2012. Malkin is still Malkin, whereas we like to call him Philadelphia Shrek. Because let's be honest, he looks, he looks a lot like Shrek. He's not an attractive male. I don't, I don't see He's it. not handsome. I don't see it. You don't see Shrek or him being handsome? I don't uh, I don't see the Shrek comparison. Oh, I see. You have to look up the memes there online. Trust me. He's Shrek. I know. But, you I know, it's a stretch. Malkin can get unhinged and do stupid things. But you, you have to play that card. You have to take advantage of that. And not so much take advantage of his temper or that element of the game playing the Penguins, but you have to take advantage of the power plays. I can't, I can't say how many times, you know, the Flyers power play just, they just failed yesterday. You know, you're, there's ultimately, you know, what chance are you better chance are you going to get in, especially in well, the playoffs? Even though yesterday the Penguins PK was very good. And you're looking at, you know, you hear the fans yelling in the stands. Oh, shoot, shoot, shoot. Watching the game, looking back at it, because I, I went back and watched some of the plays again yesterday, there wasn't any lanes. The Penguins' power p- penalty kill took all the lanes away, and then when they got the puck back over to G or to Ghost, the penalty killers were very aggressive. So then now you're passing down low to a Nolan Patrick or a Jake Voracek, and they're getting aggressive. So then the, 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 the Penguins' penalty kill is making the Flyers' power play play on the perimeter and not get shots off. And that's what a successful penalty kill does. So there was, I mean, yeah, the Flyers, you can say the Flyers' power play failed themselves, but they weren't given any good looks. There weren't any good lanes to shoot the puck, so then that's why they failed. And then even if they got in a chance and got the play, you know, down low and got a good look, there was Matt Murray saying, well, guess what, I'm in net today. Sorry, not sorry. I mean, I understand, but... You have to be able to adjust to that sort of adversity. You have to find ways to score, especially well, then, when you have the man advantage. He posed this to you. Then do you switch Simmons and Nolan Patrick? I mean, Simmons was taken off the top power play unit for a reason, and Patrick was then flipped up there for a reason. But even to do this for a change, maybe to get Simmons going, give him a little more ice time, even if he stays on the third line, throw him up the power play one, maybe increase that third line minutes ice time, now, if you ask me still, that line is better served effectively if Roth was on it than Konechny. Because then you can have, really have a true third line that's scoring, that's scoring and physical. And then you fix that top line, you give it more speed. I mean, I like I like and want Roth with, especially with Giroux especially. They just seem to click well. But there's not, the problem is with that line with Roth and G in there, there's not enough scoring. It's very much... You have two passers. Well, you have a passer in G and kind of an everything guy right now in Coots. And then you have Raffle, who just kind of does what – he's like a whatever guy. He can do whatever you need him to do. Mm-hmm. But he's just not doing it right now. 
I think maybe another another aspect of it is I, I, I firmly believe, you know, the Flyers power play, just the system that they run, and like I've talked about this before, I may even mentioned this on the podcast. I think, you know, they pass well and they move the puck well. But I I also think another another aspect of it that maybe allows especially a strong penalty killing team like the Penguins to take advantage and neutralize your team on a, on a man advantage is the lack of mobility. I understand that you closed the Penguins or we did a great job of closing off lanes yesterday and eliminating scoring chances for the Flyers. But also part of that is being able to sort of keep yourself moving and like open up lanes for yourself, kind of just uh, give yourself the opportunity to set up plays, especially, or to infiltrate a strong penalty kill. You know, it, it's possible, you know, especially on a team that's been taking, you know, penalty after penalty after penalty. The, the Penguins, the Penguins had a very penalized game yesterday. The Flyers had a lot and lots of chances on the man advantage. And like I said, it's tough, especially when, you know, they're just, they're killing you. Like they're literally just shutting you down on the power play. But when it comes down to it, you get tired. Like you have to think that their penalty kill unit gets tired because they saw a lot of ice time yesterday, you know, and you have to be able to, like I said, infiltrate and execute, you know, offense in better plays. Like if you, if the flyers just were a little bit more mobile, I feel like, like I said, they pass well. They ha- they seem to have this thing where they they'll, they'll skate the puck in, and I think that, like they'll take it behind the net, and then they'll circulate it to the point. And there's a lot of like they, de- de- they definitely passing. want they definitely want Giroux or Ghost controlling what happens. Oh, on the top, I know. And I want Giroux on the top on the on the off wing or the, on the top of the circle on the uh, the left wing rather, and they want him to be able to wind up for that one timer. Awesome when that works. Awesome, but like I said, I I feel like. They sort of just kind of run that play, hoping that they can open up a lane for that to do that. Sometimes you're just gonna have to move. You're just gonna have to switch it. You know, maybe have Giroux come down low and have somebody jump up, or like maybe Gosses Bear go to the high circle and you know have somebody crash the net and have Gosses Bear put a shot on that at that. Or point. maybe even on the other corner because you have you have Voracek, then Ghost, then Gene. Maybe you switch Voracek out with someone else. Because Voracek's not really that great of a shooter at times. I mean, he has a good shot, but he doesn't use it. You see him in the power play, he looks to shoot and then stops. Like, he'll have a lane, and then he just won't do it, and he'll pass off the ghost. And he will feel like he gets rushed. Do you, I, may, do you maybe try flipping maybe... Like, who else would... You know, if, let's say, if, if we were to put Jake Voracek back down on to power play two... Who would you replace in that shooting role on that right side, right wing corner on this team? Because hmm. Konechny kind of plays down low or plays the same about G does on power play too. Simmons is also down low. And then you have Limbaum also out there with Couturier. Or no, Couturier is on power play one now. So I'm trying to think, maybe do you have Konechny shoots the puck a little bit more now. You maybe give Limbaum a shot and see if he can shoot it. But he, he's better more down low, maybe too. You can maybe just, at that point, you need maybe adjust the positioning. You know, maybe, like, you're right, maybe Konechny sits a little higher. You know, maybe he goes in and he's the one walking in to take a shot. Whereas Voracek would sort of hold the puck and look for that cross-crease pass. 
Like he'll definitely like Voracek takes the puck at the top of the circle and he definitely skates it in. Like he'll handle the puck like he'll do that forehand, backhand as he kinda like he like it's almost like lag. Like when you're like when you're playing a game and your joystick like you kinda just like the game guys. lags and he just kinda coasts in there. And I think he waits for the goaltender and the play to shift to him so he can send the puck to the other end to leave the, the far side post open. And that's cool. Like I said, it works sometimes. But at this point, these are things that need to work all the time. Like I said, you can – maybe in the regular season, you can you know take chances and opportunities and have like Giroux shoot one-timers from the top of the circle or have, or have Voracek take the puck at the top of the circle, walk it in, and then go back door. You know, that's cool, but not against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who just absolutely shut the Flyers down yesterday. You want, like I said, they took away the lanes. There was, there's nowhere to take the puck at that point. You know, when you allow them to just kind of set up this blockade in the, in the offensive zone. So at that point, like, what other option do you have to try and open up more space for yourself? kind of like move with the puck. I feel like it is a better option than maybe kind of going for those, you know, typical maybe run-of-the-mill plays that the Flyers have a tendency to run, especially on the man advantage. You know, and this is even something that I've even questioned in the regular season. You know, I don't know how effective it is. Because when when it comes down to it, it becomes predictable. I feel like teams have a tendency to pick up on the tendencies of the Flyers' power play, like I said, they, they sort of know who they're looking for on that top unit or even in the secondary unit. You know, so you have to, when are you going to be able to adjust to that? What are you going to come up with to beat that when they kind of have you solved? You're hoping uh, in the offseason, the Flyers went out and hired Chris Knobloch, who was the previous head coach of the Erie Otters when they had, you know, Connor McDavid and Dylan Strom and Alex DeBrinkett on that Erie Otters squad. And he was kind of seen as like maybe the next big like hockey mind. And the Flyers got him as an assistant coach. He runs our power play. So I'm maybe hoping that he'll, he'll come up with something new soon. But I haven't really seen anything that's been changed from previous what you, past. What do you think? I guess like that's just how I feel on it. I mean, I guess what do you think as far as when it comes to the power play and like when it comes to that kind of thing? You know, I like our power play a lot, but I think we just need we need someone we need someone who shoots who can shoot more on that right wing side than Jake Voracek. Well, I mean, I just don't know who Jake to say Voracek, to put there. Jake Voracek. The problem is because Jake Voracek's not going to shoot. Yeah, I just don't. I, I think it's well established at this point that Jake Voracek is going to look. To hold the puck as long as he can until he can set up that bread and butter pass. The G or the ghost. It, it yeah. doesn't matter who it is. Even if it's even if he can put a shot to the far the far side and have a rebound come out and like have like a Simmons or somebody in front of the net just kind of tap it back in off of a rebound. He, like that's what he's gonna look. That's his option. You know, I think you know what might miss maybe. Maybe we should bring back that play. You know, this the Scott this the uh, Scotty Hartnell play, kind of in the high slot there. Where the remote comes in, he's just right there in the slot and just flips it right over the goal. I mean, how oh, many how many mean, goals did Scott Hartnell you mean, score like that? You mean the play that beat the Pittsburgh Penguins? Oh, oh color me shocked. That we've watched a player like Scott Hartnell and then, beat the Pittsburgh Penguins? And, and then once we got rid of Scott Hartnell, Brain Chen filled into that role. But now both of his players are gone. 
So maybe do you try and throw maybe a, a Wayne Simmons back in that position or right. Travis Konechny? I mean, I also think like the the Penguins might have a good pe- penalty kill, but I definitely think you know it's a beatable penalty. It's a beatable penalty kill. I think the defense on their penalty kill is the stronger unit or it's a stronger portion of like their penalty kill. I definitely think like the weak point is the off- the offensive players coming up in like covering the points and trying to close off the lanes up in like the top of the circle and in the high slot. So I feel like if you could sort of cycle the puck and, you know, maybe even set up that play, like hit somebody in the high slot, like even like, even like a connect me or like, I can even see Giroux kind of like cert- make that rotation and kind of circle around the top of the circle where he would take the puck and sort of just kind of hit the slot and like skate into it. Maybe with like, somebody hit him with a pass. If you can like maybe get the puck behind the net, and like you, you could go, you know, take a wrist shot. You have options. You could put the puck low, put it like hard, like maybe for a five hole shot, looking for a rebound, or like you know, have a traffic chase the puck after you shoot it. Or even if you look for the option of going upstairs, you know, the Flyers have resources. You know, they just I don't know if especially on the power play, they're they're executing or they're course i mean they're not executing but i don't know if they're using what they can with that she was not having it no, no. i guess she's a fan of the flyers power play <laughs> she likes it no, the, the wolfers was not exactly a fan being tried to my room anymore so the wolfers has made her first podcast appearance yes yes her podcast debut all right so toronto Beats Boston four to two, and they're back in that series. Yeah, in Toronto. No, thank God, because <laughs> I, I picked them to win the series. I don't necessarily remember how many games. I want to say six. Yeah, I had them winning in six I had too. Them winning in six, but Boston has kind of come out and stunned me and and the Leafs. Yeah. So far, as of late. So you know we're we're about hitting all the time we're going to have here tonight. So Jake, just what are your closing thoughts on what you think the Flyers need to do to get a game to get a a, a victory out of Game Four? All right, so I, we just spent a lot of time talking about it, but I think they need to find ways to capitalize on the power play. When they get power play opportunities, especially against the Penguins, you need to score it. You, you kind of need to just bury them on that. That's a big That's a big deal. I also think that you, the Flyers really need to stop buying into the between-the-whistle shenanigans and kind of just don't, don't allow... There hasn't been that much of that, though, in this series so far. There was a little bit more yesterday because it was in Philly. But you know what? There hasn't been that much. I just I just don't want to see that, like, the Flyers, like, you know, somebody... You, you, don't, know step, how the, you don't know how the refs are going to call it. I don't want, I don't want Malkin to step up on Connect Me again and have somebody just plant him. You know what I mean? And have it become this whole, like, cluster of just BS. It, you understand what I mean. Like I just yeah. the Flyers have to keep their noses clean. Like I said, that's a very big factor going into this series, and I think it's something that's gonna play into the rest of it. So with that, other than you know playing a clean game and you know more so staying focused on the task at hand, which is winning the game, you know, being success on the power play. I don't think that the Flyers have done a lot wrong in this series. And I know it may not reflect that on the scoreboard and 
the last three games, with the exception of Friday night. But I think they're doing a lot of right things. And I think they're they're playing well. It's just a matter of keeping it up, you know, allowing yourself to start the game like you did yesterday and Sunday, like with a very strong 20 minutes where everybody's just kind of, it's this cohesive effort that's working. And you just, okay, maybe you're not, you're not solving Murray at first, but you, you have to keep putting shots on him. You have to keep pressuring him and allowing him to see the puck. Cause when it comes down to it, that's the ultimately, that's how you're going to beat, you know, a strong goaltender is you have to you have to kind of wear them down because the flyer or the penguins defense you know i mean with with the exception of maybe like latang or schultz has kind of had a resurgence in his career there dumoulin dumoulin they're not they're not like the wildest penguins defense that we've ever seen before you know they're like the, the simone dupre 2012 we can go back in the day to 09 when there was Gonchar or pick with Tang. Well, yeah, they, where they had like this punishing defense core, you know, and you found ways to, to get around it then. So ultimately, I think you just need to test the goaltender. You need to test Matt Murray, and you need to, you just need to find ways to beat him. And I think, like I said, the main advantage is part of it. Also, another thing, you know, with playing discipline, I think the Flyers, if they do, you know, take a penalty and they find themselves in the penalty kill, they need to. You need to have success on that too. I, I guess I don't really know how else to say it, but that way you need to be able to eliminate the Penguins' opportunity to score on a power play because they're essentially a team who will bite you every time. They're not very often stifled. Yeah. So I'm going to reiterate a lot of what Jake said. You know, special teams, you have to have the better special teams if you're the Flyers if you want to win game four. Power play, penalty kill, have to step up. You also need to have five on five play keep up. Keep the play to the Penguins. Drive the play. You're gonna be in. You're gonna be at your home barn again. You need the Wells Fargo Center to be loud and going crazy and being a party for a full 60 minutes or 60 minutes plus of hockey. You cannot afford to let what happened Sunday happen Wednesday. Also, you know if they if they stick with the same lineup again, can't play the way they played Friday. Good saves from Elliott and bounce play out from your four lines and 3D pairs. You know, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Play smart, play hard, and you'll win. Hopefully win. You know, it's still at home. You win. It's a best of three series. Definitely. The, I mean, the Flyers, after winning, taking game two in Pittsburgh, they were in a good position because they had tied the series and they had the next two games at home where they could potentially put themselves into three games to one series lead. Unfortunately, we, they weren't able to get it done yesterday at the Wells Fargo Center, but they still have an opportunity to make things right. You can retie the series at home on Wednesday. You know, this it's far from over. And, you know, you've already won a game in Pittsburgh and you still, you have game four in Philadelphia. So, you know, I wouldn't rule anything out. Yeah. And, exa- and, and if you're a Flyers fan, just have some faith. Root hard, enjoy the hockey, enjoy the hockey we weren't supposed to be watching, and just have some fun. The playoffs are for. So that's going to conclude it for this episode of Five and Major Hockey, and we'll see you guys next week, and let's go Flyers.